Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Another question episode, all from Torsten Bauer. Had him on Zoom, and he had a number of comments that he'd sent in over the months. I accumulated them, and it was too much for one episode. In fact, this is our fourth time we've done something like this. A lot of fun. I get different interaction with Torsten than I do from my, he's from Germany, and I don't have too many friends that have a PhD in nuclear physics. So thanks, Torsten, for your insightful questions, and hope everybody enjoys it. Sponsors, always to be thanked. Heritage Auctions, Hugs and Scott Auctions, Tops, Panini, and Upper Deck, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. Here it is, and again, thank you, Torsten. Okay, episode 863 with Mike Moynihan, great guy. He doesn't live very far away from me, so he's been over here, I've been over He's mainly vintage baseball, but you listen to that, and you mentioned this enjoyment to price relationship and about considering the cost of acquisition of some of these cards and then reflecting back on that. I thought that was funny coming from you because I thought you really didn't sell cards of your Shaq collection. No, I don't sell at all, but just for my collecting purpose, just when I have a card, I enjoy it all the more when I know I bought it at a sufficient price point. I could afford a lot more expensive cards, but I don't buy those because I wouldn't enjoy them. You'd rather have the money than the card. If you have a hundred dollar card, just you could pick any number: ten dollars, hundred dollars, thousand dollars, whatever n- number you want to throw out there. If you have the money, you're not borrowing the money, you're not stealing the money. You have the money, and you're thinking, "Would I rather have the money, or would I rather have the card?" And uh, everybody thinks about that. I'm sitting here with the money. Do I buy the card? But they don't think of it as much. I have the card. I could sell that card for. Hmm money then i could have the money and i think most people think i'd rather have the money than the card or i'd rather have the card than the money but i've never heard people really talk about what are you going to do with the money <laughs> if you sold one of your shack cards for a hundred dollars what are you going to do with a hundred dollars that's going to give yeah. you the same enjoyment as the card even if you paid ten dollars for the card because really what matters is what the card's worth now so you paid ten dollars for it but you could get $100 for it immediately. But what are you going to do with $100? Is it going to give you more enjoyment? That's the reason I didn't even think about selling at the high point, maybe one or two years ago, any of my cards, because I, I don't anything would give me that enjoyment. Also, I, I could, could have bought it uh, anyhow. Yeah, so, yeah, it, it's strange, but I don't buy a card, maybe because it's 500 bucks, because I think... That's a lot of money for a card. But when I own a card, which happens to be worth 500 bucks, I still wouldn't sell it. So, yeah, that's a psychological thing, I guess. Not to get into our personal financial situations, but I know that you have a good job. I used to have a good job, but there are people that are more wealthy and people that don't have as much money. And I think if you don't have as much money, a younger person just starting out in their career then the buying and selling is really important because they don't have enough money to keep buying without selling. And so they're constantly figuring this out of would I rather have the money or the card or would I rather have this card than that card. But I've also not heard it discussed very much about these very wealthy people that never have to sell anything. And they clearly would rather have the card than the money. If they were to sell the card, they already have lots of money. They don't need more money. They want more cards. And that's part of what's driving the hobby now 
the only reason they would get rid of a card is if it was traded, perhaps for a better card. And so that's part of what's driving the hobby for these very wealthy people, because they're ultra wealthy. They don't have to sell, and they'd clearly rather have the card, regardless of what it costs. They're not price sensitive like you would be, and like I am too. I don't want to pay more than something's worth. Clearly, if you see my background, I'd rather have the card than the money, (laughs) not selling stuff. And that's maybe more of a true hobbyist. Okay, next was episode 888 about Kyrie Irving, the most hated NBA player, question mark. Kyrie Irving is the most misunderstood player, but I've had a lot of comments about that episode and about that other comment I made about, do you put somebody on your wall that everybody hates for my card wall? And I just think James Harden, there are people that love him, but lots more people hate him now. Russell Westbrook, people were disliking him in basketball, and he's had a little bit of career redemption this year. But you raised the question that you don't hate anybody, but sometimes hate is not hate, but it's envy. That was, I think, the gist of your comment. Yes, exactly. Just thinking back to the day when Shaq was still playing, and I was really closely following the NBA every day, and I wanted that Shaq is the best player. So I secretly hope that comparably good players like Tim Duncan or maybe Michael Jordan, whomever, Kobe, who was on the same team, of course, that they might underperform a little bit so that Shaq had better chances of becoming MVP or to be considered the best player. And so in retrospect, when I think about which players I disliked, it was more because of competitive thinking yeah, compared to my favorite player. And and I think that is what sparks a lot of people. I don't think that I'm alone in that. Kyrie Irving, he might be a little different, yeah, (laughs) because he has some really strange things going on in the pandemic and so forth. But still, I experienced the exact opposite thing as well. When I was at school, most people disliked Shaq, not because they disliked Shaq, but because they were fans of maybe Kevin Garnett or Michael Jordan. And it was the other way around, yeah. First of all, all the names you're putting out there, and I agree, to be envied, you have to be also really good. So the envy that comes uh, comparing Shaq to any other guys, they are worthy of concern that they're also great players. But the Shaq and Kobe thing is particularly problematic because when they were on the same team, I don't think they had the harmony sometimes. I think they did have some concern between themselves of who was going to get the credit. And eventually they split up, even Mm -hmm. though if they had stayed together, they could have won several more championships because they had the makings of a fabulous team just with the two of them. Do you think that was envy? Kobe was taking a lot of shots. In the beginning, when Kobe arrived, Shaq and Kobe arrived both in 96, yeah? But Kobe was a 17-year-old rookie and Shaq was already an established NBA player, already a top 50 player. Yeah? But then Kobe emerged, of course. He became a superstar very quickly and he wanted to be the man. He heard people saying that he won't be able to win a championship without Shaq. Exactly, yeah. Then he started to take over. He wanted to take more shots. And he also had a point in saying, I work every day. I work in the off-season. I work very hard on my game. And Shaq doesn't because Shaq is a physical specimen. He's big and strong and agile and so forth. And he didn't have to work as hard as Kobe had to work. But Shaq, on the other hand, he didn't want that Kobe took it from him. Yeah, Yeah, I think 
this was competitive thinking. Envy might have played a role in that too, of course. I think you've explained it well. I think it was a challenge for both of them. These are two of the greatest players in our lifetime that we will yeah. see. And they were together, like you said, the age difference and uh, positional differences and the size difference. Jack was amazing, but I wish they could have worked it out because I think they could have gone on to many more championships. And it would be interesting, Thorsten, to see if Kobe had not died in the crash, what their relationship. I think Shaq has really mellowed quite a bit in being the announcer. He's very jovial. He has mm. a lot of fun and uh, pokes fun at himself. He's a serious analyst. And I think Kobe was very serious. And you think if they had stayed together, maybe Shaq's fun-loving nature would have maybe blended well with Kobe's intensity. Yeah, maybe later in his career when Shaq played with Dwayne Wade and then he was ready to give it up, so to exactly. speak, not to be the man anymore. But he wasn't when he was playing with Kobe for some reason. Yeah. I don't blame him. At the beginning, yes, he absolutely was the most important part of the team. I went to that game where Kobe just outscored the whole Mavericks team <laughs> for three quarters and had 69 points. So he's bringing the ball up court and he's scoring at will. Shaq's never going to get the ball <laughs> unless it's a rebound. So yeah. maybe that's something that couldn't last forever. But it sure was fun watching them play together and complimenting each other in that way. Okay, next was my 906 interview with Adam Gray on the PWCC Iconic 100, which I got some negative feedback about that, mainly about that approach to having the top 100 cards in all the sports and letting selected people to vote. But some of the people were not as familiar with some of the sports. If you really wanted to pick out the most iconic cards, you'd want experts in that sport and that had collected those cards. But again, that's already been discussed. I haven't heard any criticism of the iconic 100, that it's too American-centric, that it's not as global. When I used to teach sampling in the statistics departments, you need to have a representative sample. The representative sample is probably not representing Europe. Point being is if you had a basketball ranking of iconic cards and iconic players, if it's an American ranking, that's different than if it's a global ranking. My compliment to you is that I think in a global ranking, Shaq moves up because he's an international, global, recognizable star. And more than a lot of these other guys who are also great players. But there's only a few basketball stars and football that have global international recognition. If Shaq were to show up in the Frankfurt airport in Germany, would he be recognized? Of course he would be recognized. Yeah. He's more recognizable physically, personally, than Michael Jordan, who's more of a global icon. Kobe it would probably be like Michael. They're big guys, but Shaq is on another level. And he backed it up with outstanding play. So yeah. he wasn't just a big guy. There's been lots of big guys. He was a big guy that really had skills and power, strength, all that. So who moves up the list if it's global? If Adam Gray does it again and tells the people, hey, let's make sure Petrovich... Mm -hmm. Does he move up I the list? Is uh, Dirk Nowitzki already is well established in America from being in Dallas his whole career? But Dirk, of course, Drazen Petrovic is still an European icon, of course. 
Yeah. They yeah. began the wave of accepting mm-hmm. that these European players could compete very well in the NBA. And then he had a car wreck, I guess. So. Yeah. It, it was even in Germany, I think. Yeah. And, but the, the most underappreciated international player to me is Detlef Schrems still, because he was the oh, first right. European All-Star. He won six men of the year twice. He was a borderline star, but, okay. but he's never gotten, not even in Germany, the hobby love uh, maybe he deserves. I think he was ahead of his time. If you project him into today's game and let him have the ball with the usage rates that Luka Dacic has, he had a lot of skill with the ball, great passer, good shooter, very creative, but he didn't take over a game like Luka oh. takes over the game and had the ball in his hands all the time. And also interesting was, I didn't know that, but until Russell Westbrook took it this year from him, he was still the sixth man with the most triple doubles. That's something nobody remembers. Yeah. Also, maybe who might jump up on the list of iconic cards, those Formula One drivers, yeah? like Michael right. Schumacher and then also Ayrton Senna and... They don't have like spectacular cards, but they still have some of those early 90 cards, right? If there are 10 times as many collectors in Germany 10 years from now, if Fanatics has their way, surely there'll be a huge run on Detlef Schrepp cards from all of his cards of his playing career and ever since. Because if they're more serious collectors in Germany, they're going to collect the German stock. It means Dirk's cards will go up because there'll be more demand. Anybody that's representative of that country, if there's more collectors in that country, especially with eBay and the internet, you can get the cards, even if you're in a foreign country. 